Happy National Poetry Day, folks. It's Thursday, the 4th of October, 2018. It's very early in the morning. It's still dark outside. I'm sitting with a cup of tea and I'm about to get ready to go and be poet in residence on the Tyne and Weir Metro, which is like the northeast of England's version of the Tube. This is where I grew up and it feels quite surreal to be doing this, Um, but I'm sure it's going to be so much fun. So traveling around all day on the Metro, writing poetry and posting it on Twitter and Instagram for Nexus and also giving out some poetry books and doing some readings at metro stations too. So it's going to be a full-on day. And if you're listening to this the day that this goes out, you can read the poetry that I'm writing online. Um, You can still find some of it even later if you want, because it'll be on Twitter, whereas most of them are going to be on Instagram stories, so they'll disappear. So you can search and find if you're interested. But speaking of poetry, the reason that we are here today and the reason that I'm talking to you is I interviewed the wonderful Dinez Smith, who is one of my favourite people. Dinez won the Forward Prize for Best Collection this year. As you know, I was one of the judges, and I absolutely adore their book, Don't Call Us Dead. The book looks at what it's like to be black, queer, and HIV positive in America today. It's articulate, spellbinding, powerful. It's so well-crafted. I've spoken about it a lot. I've championed it a lot. If you haven't gone out and read it yet, then what are you doing? Please go and do that. Also search on YouTube to find videos of Dinez reading their work as well. Um, The poetry is, is fantastic on the page. And obviously when we judged, that is what we were judging on. But also seeing Dinez read is an experience in itself. So um, search for that, especially I would say Dinosaurs in the Hood, which is one of my favorites. But yeah, I got the chance to chat with Dinez the next day. And it was lovely. So here is that interview. Can you introduce yourself to anyone who may not know? Yeah. Fabulous self, obviously they should. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, my name is Denez Smith. I'm a poet from St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I'm black. I'm queer. Um, Sometimes I feel like a lady and sometimes I feel like a dude. Most of the time I just feel like, um, you know, like... Uh, a like nice fire with some skin wrapped around it. Um, I'm very much I'm a Leo, uh, Capricorn rising. Oh, I'm, I'm a Capricorn. What does being a Leo mean? My, like I'm hopeless with star signs. What does that mean? You know, I think a lot of people think of being a Leo means that you're just really self-absorbed and narcissistic, <laughs> and it does. Uh, and so sometimes, um, you know, I think that's like the bad side of Leo that we have to check. I think we, we're confident. We're like natural leaders, even we don't want to be. Um, but we like also like care very deeply and are like fiercely loyal and protective of the people that we are loyal to Mm -hmm. um and we like like to like we like for the rooms that we're in to feel like bright and alive and if that means like sort of like becoming the unofficial like host of a party when there is no host then we will be and we will try to make sure everybody's comfortable thank you Uh, (laughs) no problem (laughs) um and we will like also be like your biggest cheerleader uh Mm -hmm. but like part of our ego, part of the way we're set up means that we also like sort of sometimes like we very much enjoy our cheerleading as well. Uh, um, And we tend to be, I think, big personalities sometimes, at least like some, you know, even the introverted Leos, once you get to know them, I think are rather grand in some ways. Um, And yeah, we're just like kicking it with folks. I think we're sometimes the shittiest Zodiac sign, but I don't think we're the worst. (laughs) So how'd you come to poetry? Uh, I came to poetry um, in high school. Um, I... Uh, didn't really, you know, I think identify, um, 
or find a value as a high schooler um, and like so a lot of the poetry that I was seeing in English courses um, which was like you know a lot of you know it was it was Frost it was Whitman it was Dickinson um, it was like St. Hughes if it was February I think I liked Hughes a little bit but all of it felt antiquated and everybody was dead yeah. um, and so it wasn't until um, I took a theater class um, my ninth grade year second semester um, and a teacher by the name of Jan Mandel who's still one of my greatest mentors um, showed um she we were so the theater class in my high school was um was like based on augusta bawal's theater of the oppressed and so we were like making our own plays right we weren't like doing shakespeare but it was just like we would sit down figure out what we wanted to talk about and we would write you know we would devise scenes mm. um and you know write scenes direct ourselves you know build these plays that were about the issues that we felt we were important um and part of it was like writing these like monologues often for scenes mm -hmm. that were actually low-key just poems that we okay. didn't understand were poems um and also part of that ninth grade year um some poets came um from the bay area they were part of an organization called you speaks um, which runs this uh festival called Brave New Voices, um, which is a international teen poetry festival. And they were going around the country trying to get other cities involved and in coming to the festival it was trying to grow at the time. Um, and so they came to our school and they performed and we were all freaking wowed. Um, and we also realized like, oh, Maybe these monologues we've been writing are like poems, kind of like not as good as that, but we like, did that. yeah, we did that, like worse, but we did that, you know. Um, and like, I remember Jan bought the You Speak CD, um, or Miss Mandel, we never called her Miss Mandel, Jan called, bought the Spoken Word CD, um, and she would have us write poems by like sort of just listening to the CD, and we would pick out a line that resonated with us, and then we'd write a poem off of that. Um, from there, I'm just giving you like the long story. I, know, I like the long story. Yeah, yeah. This story. is the inside the actor studio, right? Um, <laughs> and so um, from there, you know, we started like our own open mic at, at like in school, and like mm -hmm. you know, people would shut. We would shut down sixth hour, um, and folks would come, and we'd have an open mic. Um, we linked up with some kids across the river in Minneapolis that were also doing poetry stuff in their high school, and we started this organization called Teens Rock the Mic, um, and. Uh, from there, you know, we went to Brave New Voices that year. We took like 30 youth from Minnesota and mobbed down on this festival. Everybody was like, where are y'all from, Atlanta? And we said, no, Minnesota. It was a very, we didn't look like Minnesota, but people thought Minnesota looked like, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, we just like rock. And like from there, I think, you know, going to Brave New Voices and like seeing, I think at the time, like 300 young people from all across the country, uh, 200, 300 young people that were all there for poetry. I was like, what the fuck? Like, everybody likes this. You know, we're not weird. Um, and even in our high school, you know, I think poets were also kind of like revered in a certain way. Like it was never like ostracized and we were, we were never meant to feel strange but we okay. were celebrated you know I that's think really cool it was really cool and i think that's because of the like sort of like the spoken word tendencies that we yeah. had you know um we were all watching deaf poetry we were all trade you know coming to school the next day and talking about those videos after the weekend um or those performances and so um you know and i think like there's something about spoken word that i think uh always is considering of the audience right you cannot have spoken word in a room by yourself you mm -hmm. know or else you're just like you know a madman um and so spoken word necessitates the interaction with other people. Um, and I think because of that, spoken word poets are often thinking about, are often thinking about their audiences in the process, right? Like, I think, you know, like, we have sometimes are living in the idea of, like, I wrote this for myself, but, like, oftentimes we're, like, sort of also always thinking about, like, this is going to be presented mm. to somebody and offered to somebody, you know? I think it is, like, an offering in that way. Uh, and so I think for that reason, like, it didn't feel like the weird kids this like stereotype of like like the weird kids like you know like maybe like writing poems that 
like weren't for everybody but like we were like you know we were writing poems for sixth hour yeah. you know um we were writing poems for that space and so um we weren't scared to be poets and they weren't scared to like poetry mm. you know and it felt like we could like you know everybody could be fans you know also like in that moment you know bring the voices what one of the cool parts is that we got to like take workshops from like mm. the people that we were seeing on deaf poetry or like just like really truly transformative poets like mark Mutti joseph and Marta maida de valle uh kevin colwell like all these folks and so being able to see people that were Real. Like adults, yeah, that were yeah. real and that were doing it right, and that like and not dead and not <laughs> and not dead, you know, yeah. like we're writing poems that were relevant to us, yeah. and we're making their livings off of poetry, like that completely blew my mind, and like mm. it wasn't until a little later that I really started to consider like maybe I want to be a poet as a career, but it let me know that there was value in it, and it let me know that you know it wasn't um, it wasn't a shameful thing to like, and then I I knew what it did in me, mm. and it was nice to see what it was doing in other people. Yeah. Um, you know, and I didn't have to run from it. I got to run to it. That's that's really great that you could see it. Poetry is like an active mm-hmm. thing. It wasn't just something that you would sit in a room and do, and it wouldn't benefit you or other people mm-hmm. in any kind of way. Yeah, like not a oh well, it can be cathartic, but cathartic in a at a community level. Yeah, right. Yeah, and there yeah. were many poems that I wrote for myself. You know, that were like, cause just cathartic, and you yeah, know, more yeah. like you know, like you know, maybe closer to like the a diary entry, but they were still very much poems. Um, and but you know yeah I, I was always sort of yeah there was there's always been other people in the room even mm. when I was alone you know yeah. how do poems come to be for you do you workshop them through like reading them out at performances mm. or are they very much near completion before you do that and then you might tweet later um I think sometimes it happens all the ways you know mm. um I think uh I think about performance as a way to test things out yeah all, all the time but not for every poem you know I don't think every poem I write lends itself to performance and so there were pieces that I have you know even in the book I think like if I would have read a poem like uh, Litany with Blood All Over mm. um, in front of an audience, you know, too early, um, I would have completely fucked that up because I probably would have started trying to move it towards a more performative space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I try to, for me, I think like my first allegiance is to the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not thinking about page or stage as necessarily at that point. Well, um, it has to be what it's going to be. Right, it has to be what it's going to be. You know, I can't make too many decisions about the poem until it's done mm-hmm. uh, or until like I at least get to the bottom of a draft. And once I get there, then I like read it to myself and I'm like, oh, this is something that might lend itself to performance. Yeah. If it does lend itself to performance, then yeah, I like always try to sneak in new work into like all my readings um, or like back in the day it was like going like trying things out at open mics and using the audience as like sort of a first tester to like just test the waters and see if like the things that I needed to hit were hitting um, and seeing if the things that I thought were resonating you know seeing where like if it's completely like dead and quiet and everybody hates it then I know I got some more work to do um, if there are a couple snaps or maybe a hoot and a holler here and there then maybe I know I'm on the right path Yeah. Um, and especially like reading those poems in front of um, like loved audiences you know like mm-hmm. Um, I'm very grateful for like all like the slams and open mics that I was able to go to um, when I was younger um, because they because I loved those audiences and they helped me hone my voice and they were people that I felt like I could be my you know weirdest self around or like my most loud and political self around and so um, and so those like you know having spaces where I just wasn't speaking to a complete group of strangers all the time Mm -hmm. but I was speaking to you know folks who were invested in me and I was invested in them that always helped so so yeah, so reading has always been, I think, a part of that editing process. And I read, even if it's not for an audience, you know, I read to myself out loud all the time, I think. Yeah. There's, like, I think I'm so, so so interested in musicality and sonics in my work and metric, and metric shit that, and let, like, reading it out loud is how I is how I catch myself in the editing process, right? If I if I can't say it, if it becomes too jumbled and gnarled in the mouth, then it lets me know that I still got to go back to the page. And I feel like 
in the last like year or so I feel like I've felt myself become a stronger performer mm. um, I just have really felt connected to the work or maybe even disconnected from myself in some ways that in a healthy way mm. um, where I feel like you know, my performances have really intensified um, and I'm, yeah so I need to get back to slam I just want to win one more slam and that'll be good <laughs> the national poetry slam that'll be good yeah <laughs> well I think you can have that like disassociation right between you and your work like if you're if you've read it so many times mm -hmm. does it exist as something else to you like as mm -hmm. a feeling sometimes like, yeah that, mm. yeah that's a good way to put it yeah it exists as a feeling yeah i think you know it's like sort of a ritual you know i think like especially the ones i've been performing for a while i think like you know i've been performing dear white america mm -hmm. um or like upon my dinosaurs in the hood now for like four going on five years right um for those two poems and I like I'm not I don't have to think about the words anymore and like I've done them so much that now they live in my body in another way that like I think it I, I, like I'm like transported you know when I do white dear white America now like I'm I'm somewhere else yeah um, I'm not in the room um, I'm kind of floating above myself and yeah I'm able to access something and like I think it's because of like that long standing relationship with the poem mm. and a poem is always new I think every poem is new anytime you bring it in front of an audience, right? Because it's never been you in a room with those people. Yeah. Um, so it always feels new. Um, but there are, but I'm never, but what am I trying to say? Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, once you live with something for so long, it ha you have no choice but to understand it and it has no choice but to understand you. Mm. And so it becomes a symbiotic relationship where there is no separation between you and the poem. No. You know, um, you've lived in that space so many mm. times that it's like, it's a ritual. Um, you open something up, I think, you know, I think poems themselves, you know, even reading a poem, I think the best poems to me transport you from one place to another. Yeah. Right. They never pick you. They never drop you off or they picked you up. Um, and I think the same has sort of been true for like my most um, memorable moments in performance where I, I felt transported somewhere and like I did not start, you know, it just wasn't it was more than a performance. You know, it was something else. You know, the poem picked me up and dropped me off somewhere else as well. Have you got a specific memory in mind with that? Maybe the first time I did yeah. don't call I did a. Dear White America, mm. um, which maybe feels closer to like the more recent times, even though they're very different performances. Um, but the first time I did it, I was I was totally maybe the second time I did it, I did it at Russell, the one the one that's like recorded online, like and I think it was because it was a room that like I knew I could be angry in. It was like a room full of like heroes and friends you know i remember i was there it was at rust belt which is a midwest based poetry slam in the state um and uh you know my team was there my team was like some of my best friends human win sam Sachs, cam awkward rich great poets um but in the room as well was like uh will evans jamal may omar holliman hanif abdurkeep who are like all poets that like you know i walk with and i love and look up to um and like I remember doing that poem and like just sort of I left my body, you know, mm -hmm. and like, you know, and even like I think the moment like and I was like doing it and like trying to like not mess up the words still. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like Will Evans and Jamal May are right there and I love them and I look up to them and they are freaking out about this poem right now. But also I had this other so like that was like my ego side. Right. And then on this other side, I'm like. I understand the words I'm saying right now mm. and you know and like the injustices I'm speaking to and like trying to call down something else or call up to something different um, and there are people and I see that woman over there who's crying because maybe she's never 
knew that she could say this shit out loud and be this angry. Um, or maybe she is this angry and fed up. And mm-hmm. finally, somebody's like here with her. And I'm here with her right now, too, because I see her crying and I want to cry, too. <laughs> you know, so I'm like all over the place. And it's just like, ah. And then at that point, your soul just kind of, you know, catapults yeah. out of yourself. And the poem takes over and you're the poem at that point. You are the poem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Because, yeah, it's multitudes, right? It's you and the poem, but at this point, it's you and all your past selves. Mm-hmm. And every time you've read it before, mm-hmm. and the poem. Mm-hmm. That's huge. It's, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. In case you didn't know that, that's yeah, huge. It's, huge. it's mystical, right? And I think, like, you know, like, sometimes we can talk so much about, like, publishing and craft and like, all those things that are, like, very real and, like, techniques and form and mechanics, and that's all very real, you know? It's as much math as it is magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I love the magic part, you know, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the things that are hard to describe. Like, you know, the, the parts of poetry that feel divine, that feel ritualistic, that feel ancient, you know, that when we get to this idea that, like, a blurring the line between poetry and prayer, yeah. or poetry and spell, you know, when I'm in my best performances, I'm putting a spell on myself. And the audience is joining that with me. They're also part of the ritual. Hopefully, I'm putting a spell on you. Um, I want to sing now. <laughs> <laughs> I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. Well, last night, though, it was because we've sat as judges, right, in a room with these hundreds of books for like forever and talked about them. They've become something, I don't know, like bursting to get out of the walls in that room. Hmm. And then making our decision and being like, yes. I'm so excited and like just being able to go along last night and see everyone read and yourself mm-hmm. included and the poems becoming living things again mm. um was was just so exciting and because uh, you know you've got you know what it's like you're you're judging at the moment right you yeah. said last night it's um it's surreal because sometimes you can't articulate why you love something so much but mm-hmm. you're just like this is important and i really like it okay. yeah and people are like yeah but you have to say why i'm like well i will but also like <laughs> i just want to cry so can we do that too yeah um, i'm that person on the judging panel i'm just like i just want to like i just want to add that i love this book <laughs> and that's it for right now <laughs> like come back to me later. <laughs> yeah, come back to me in a second we'll like just want to say that there are emotions <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is the one that made me cry <laughs> going along late uh, last night and just seeing everybody just um, own their own poems mm-hmm. and share them. It was so inspirational. It was a really magical night. I really enjoyed, you know. Um, it was so incredible that nearly everyone could be there, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I really enjoyed, like, you know, because we got to sit in the audience for the first two Ooh. categories, and I was just like... You know. I could hear you. I would rather lie. I was taming it last night because I was like, oh, we're, we're going to be that audience. We're going to wait to the end to clap. <laughs> I mean, they were just so good, you know, and I wanted yeah. to do it even like, you know, they're in my category. You know, I want to freak out at a Tracy K. Smith reading, but I got to have some decorum because I'm on the stage <laughs> at that moment. Um, you know, and Vani too, like, you know, our poems yeah. are you know, just amazing. And then. Um, what, what J.O. did with, like, that radio drama shit oh was, like, God. changing like, his was, voice, you know? Yeah. It was, like, it was crazy. Um, it was a really magical night, and, like, I think, like, it's moments like that where, like, even though we're there to, like, you know, figure out if we won or not, right? It really makes you realize that, like, being a poet is the win, mm. you know? Being able to be in the room is the win, and, like, whether you're in the room as an audience member or you're in the room as a nominee or, you know, whether you win or not, like, 
the fact that like we get to revel in this in this mm-hmm. thing like this is what we get to care about like this is what we get to wake up and think about every morning like that's the win yeah, that's yeah. the win yo. yeah no i agree and like so many times people say it's not the winning it's the taking part that counts and most mm-hmm. of the time i'm like that's bullshit but last night i was like yes yes it's true <laughs> and the winning is right right like you know like you know like that 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 ten thousand pounds i won is very real um, and you could buy a lot of Greggs with that. I will. I could buy Greggs for life. I could buy a Greggs. <laughs> <laughs> Just buy a straight up Greggs. They'll sign up a Greggs franchise in the oh states. Uh, actually, oh. ooh, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to tell you this story. I don't know if you know this about Greggs, but um, a few years ago, someone sued Greggs, this guy, because he liked to buy uh, chicken pasties, right? Mm-hmm. So hot pockets, and have sex with them. I know. I know. And then... I don't he, love Greg's that much. I <laughs> just eat it. I yeah. mean... Uh, but yeah, so he... And he, that's sexual too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he would have sex. Um, with I'm the, using air quotes with, the, with the chicken bake. With the chicken bake. But then one day he bought a chicken bake and it was too hot and he burnt himself. So he sued Greg's. Did he win? No. No, okay. he did not win. Yeah. I mean, he's never going to win if he's having sex. You're sticking like your dick bake. inside of creamy chicken in a pastry. Like, Eat you know? it. <laughs> it is warm and flaky and soft. It is. I love Greg so much. You know, like, things I want to take back to America are, like, Greg's and Mary Berry. <laughs> I love her so much. She's so perfect. Um, uh, Mia Chato gave me a Mary Berry cookbook that I'm very grateful for. <laughs> uh, so I can't take Mary Berry home, but I will take her cookbook. Yeah, I will take her cookbook. I, I would take Mary Berry if I could. I, I love her very much. So speaking of food, what excellent food have you had since coming to London? Yeah, I've had such good fucking food. I actually like okay. have no no idea where I've eaten. Okay. Um, no, one place was like 10 Greek Street, mm-hmm. um, which is the name of a place and the address, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was on Dean Street. Oh my God, what was it called? It was so good. Um, but I've had like a lot of good food, plus Greg's, uh, right. plus Greg's, um, you know, as much English breakfast as I can get. I think, you know, like people used to rip on English cooking all the time. Hey, I think it, yeah, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I think y'all were just like boiling beef for a little too yeah. long. Um, but like an English breakfast is like the most brilliant breakfast in the world. Especially if you're hungover. Especially if you're hungover like mm-hmm. I was this morning. Um, had a good old English breakfast from, uh, where did we go? We went to the Regency mm-hmm. um, Cafe. Like that's like a good spot. Um, so yeah, I, I always have good food when I'm over here. You know, I always got to find like a nice spot for like some good curry. Last night after the after-after party, I was very drunk and... You know, we like got like the most like nameless. Chi- we were at the most like nameless chicken and chip shop ever. Yeah. Like right outside Waterloo Station, and like I don't know, we got like the dude's like last seven pieces of chicken, and it was <laughs> amazing. Probably it was gross, but I was drunk and it was hot. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so like really good food. I think like and I think the, the my favorite part about food here that it was like besides the Greggs at least on this trip I've eaten with people all the time yeah. and no matter what I think like the company always makes the food a little bit better it's like poetry it, yeah yeah it's like poetry yeah mm-hmm. and like poetry you know I think like I, I most enjoy poetry when I'm either thinking about the audience or in front of an audience mm-hmm. or I'm part of the audience um could we and that's like with the food where we eat food and do poetry at the same time of course let's do that yeah um that sounds great in a Greggs mm-hmm. Maybe we could no, we no. could have a chef Make a menu based around a poet's book, oh um, and then yeah, and okay. then and then we eat, and then there's a reading after. Okay, that sounds that sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. What are you writing at the moment? 
Uh, is, there, I am, is collection called Homie? Have yeah. I made that up? Yes. No, yeah, okay, that, that's yeah. very true. Um, I'm writing a collection. On the outside, it's called Homie. On the inside, it's called My Nig. Um, just to kind of like sort of investigate that linguistic difference and even talk about like who has access to language and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's about kinship. Specifically, it's like a lot about like black and queer friendship. Um, or not black and queer, but like I am black and I am also queer. Most of my, A lot of my friends are black. They're often queer. It's also about like different types of POC shit and also like... Um, even just like the difficulties in like having kinship or like across like a white black divide um, and like sort of like what it means to like sort of just like acknowledge and like sort of like what happens when like history or like, you know, like institutions or like white supremacy like pops up mm-hmm. in your friendships and shit like that and a little bit in there. Um, but um, yeah, so it's just about friendship. And I think uh, a relic, I think what's happened in like the last couple of drafts is, I've re- is like me and Jeff Schatz, editor at Grey Wolf, um, and also um, Parisa Chato, I've realized that. Uh, it's a lot more about suicide than I thought it was. I knew there's a there's a couple poems about in the that hold the poem uh, that that are like holding the book that are about my friends, a friend of mine's suicide a couple years ago, um, and also like my own suicidal struggles and, or suicidal thoughts thoughts and struggles with those. Um, and so it's like yeah, so it's like it's a. I thought it was like a little bit too bright, and I'm actually realizing that like I don't know what joy is, uh, because I have a lot of joyful things, but like there's also like sadness is present, or like sorrow is present, grief is present. Mm-hmm. Grief is sometimes present to be comforted by joy. I think in this collection, which is a little bit different than what was going on in Don't Call Us Dead, where I think like grief and joy are often balanced and like even though like we sort of go to like some very low lows of like grief and injustice and all that kind of stuff it's always pointing towards hope um where i think this one maybe lives in hope a little bit more and lives in joy um which made it a difficult book to trust um well because you're like poetry's not happy yeah well or just i didn't know how to write poetry (laughs) i I knew you know i knew i knew the currency of trauma Mm -hmm. i knew the currency of grief um and i knew that Joy was often the turn that I was turn that I was often turning towards joy, but I didn't know how to write a book that was already facing joy, mm. you know. Um, and sometimes having to turn its head towards grief, but always back to joy. Um, and I think you know, I think there's also a lot of danger and like. You know, I, I thought it was like sentimental and like that's a, a very scary word in poetry, right? That you never want to be sentimental. Um, and so I, this book, I had to lean on my community in a little bit of a stronger way, just even like believe in the book, right? I think like when I wrote Don't Call Us Dead, you know, um, I like finished it. I was like, oh, like this is a good book. Like I like I wrote, I wrote this. This is like pretty fucking. Is, yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I, was like I, I think I wrote a nice book. And Homie, it took me a little bit. I think also because um talking about this a little earlier but with homie um i went through a long period of writer's block and just like editor's block too mm-hmm. um because i think i was like burdening in it burdening the book to like perform in like the capitalistic and like publishing world ways that i like don't call it dead was like don't call it dead right like i like you know like people have like loved my work before like i've said nice things about it but like don't call this dead was like popular on a whole nother level Mm. um in the states and you know now with like this prize and stuff like that like it was so easy to get caught up and like so those conversations about ego um like you're like i'm the shit or like like, and it it actually burdened the next book because i was like well what if homie you know, for a while I was like, well, what if Homie isn't on the don't, isn't on the National Book Award long list? Or like, what if it doesn't get like the recognition or the prizes or the start of views and all that kind of stuff? And I couldn't write the book because I was 
still worrying about what's going to happen after the book, you know? And I think all the rest of that stuff doesn't matter, right? Like, I was proud of Don't Call Us Dead when it was a Word document, you know, before anything else happened. And it didn't matter. I wasn't thinking about awards. But I was just like, people are going to read this book, Mm -hmm. you know, and somebody's going to read this book and, like, get their life and, like, you know, like, realize that they're, like, worth some shit Um, or realize that, like, their anger is valid or realize that, like, they're not the only one that ever thought that or, like, you know, whatever. And, like, this is what I'm trying to offer to my audience because of the poets who have also offered those same type of feelings to me and none of the extra shit mattered and then the extra shit came and I think this is the danger for poets is that you know a little bit of you know taste can lead to greed because it can taint your mind and like taint how you even view your own work and so for so long with homie I was just it was just like I was down in these trenches of like expecting it to perform in another in a higher in like a post-publication way before I'd even reached the end of the book Mm -hmm. um and I only started to feel good about it once I really freed myself from that. I had to remind myself, you know, I think we have to do this several times in our lives. I had to remind myself, like, why I was doing this, yeah. you know, and what brought me to poetry in the first place. Mm. Um, and it helped and it freed me. And I think the book started getting better in my eyes and I was able to edit again. I was able to finish up writing a couple of newer poems. Um, and so now I'm in a space where I feel good about it. And it's because I'm back at a place where I don't care. Yeah. You know, I wrote this book for my friends and for anybody that's ever had a friend. And to think about that, you know, anybody that's ever like felt lonely and needed to feel love, and mm-hmm. like anybody who, you know, has ever wanted to tell somebody else that they love them, um, yeah, and who's ever lived, you know, like, and that's again what matters, and you know, whatever happens will happen, whatever doesn't happen won't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that the book is where it's at right now, and um, that I'm back at a place where I can be a poet without worrying about being a product. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, everyone, every writer, right, has has fear, and then that fear mm-hmm. morphs into something else because you're scared at the beginning because you don't know if you're good enough, mm-hmm. and then you're scared because someone said you were good enough, and what if you're never good, good enough, enough again? again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh shit! <laughs> so, like, people say, uh, how do I get over that?" And I'm just like, "Well, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. Um, but also. You, it's okay to be scared to be shit. You've yeah. got to allow yourself to be shit, even when you're good. You're right. You have to give yourself permission to be shit. You know, even when I was, like, in this writer's block moment, like, and I think, like, you know, I talk about it reflectively now, like, knowing what that was about. Mm. But in the moment, you know, those, like, seven, eight months were, like, I was writing nothing but shit. I didn't know what was blocking me. Like, you know, it was only when I started to, rem- like, to really investigate, you know, what the block was about that I was able to work towards that. But, you know, I wrote, and I, I, I'm glad I at least gave myself permission to write shit you know mm. I was just like okay I've written nothing but crap poems for the last couple months you know I like to I maybe those. have a couple of spare lines that like here mm-hmm. and there that I actually like and it's fine you know I had to like get them out of my system and I had to like you know just be comfortable and like patient with myself and I think you're right you know there's always this fear like once you finish a poem that it's never going to happen again and I think being kind with ourselves and recognizing that we go through modes and that even like not every poem you write has to be a finished, polished, amazing product, you know, sometimes you got to write the poem so that you can write the next poem. And also, you don't have to share every poem you, you write. don't. Oh, you definitely do not have to share every poem. And I, I, I indeed encourage people not to share mm-hmm. every poem they write or even to submit every poem that they write, you know? Like, you know, I even th- I think about, like, scaffolding poems in that way, you know? I think, like, in every book I've written, there's been poems that have gotten moved out, but they're, that have, like, eventually not made the manuscript, but they were so essential in helping me think about what the manuscript was. Yeah. And so sometimes they're just there sort of as, like, sort of, like, something for me to gather energy around. And eventually they get to, get to, it's like a bay leaf when you're mm-hmm. cooking, you know? Like, 
you never eat the bay leaf, but it does need to be amongst the At mix. At least not on purpose. Yeah, yeah, not on purpose, right? Yeah, then you get that nice, crunchy, tough thing. Um, but yeah, so you know, you 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 still got to take it out. I think about some poems like that too, and I think mm. even about that period like that. You know, even as I was writing those really bad poems towards the manuscript, you know, they still helped me in a way think about what the manuscript was working towards and like what it wasn't about either. Yeah. You know, like I had all these poems that eventually like got lifted out because it was like word, like thank you for like living in that space to like really show me like exactly what my book wasn't going to be either. It's like ultimate erasure poem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like I literally am erasing you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. You are now a ghost. But thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Still haunt this manuscript. Like you not live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not enough as a They live in the binding, right? Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. live between the pages. Yeah, ghost poems. Love that. I always say at the end, can you recommend some books for people to read recently that you have loved? Oh yeah. Um well, um a good solid list of books that I love. Um you can check out the um, National Book Award long list um, over in the states. Uh, there are ten brilliant collections that I would recommend to anybody. Um, you have to say how many you had to read. To uh, we read, yeah, I think I can say yeah. that. Um, yeah, we read um, a little bit over three hundred books. Um, yeah, uh, from all reaches of the country, and uh, you know, I read. Uh, yeah, we each read all of them, and. There is, like, so much good poetry out there. I, I feel like I've met so many books and poets that I had no idea who they were before that now I'm huge fans of. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like y'all said last night. You know, we could have made that short list or we could have made that long list, like, ten times over. Um, you know, so many collections that it was, like, so hard to say goodbye to. Um, and, yeah. So the long list is really great. Um, you know, um, uh some friends that have published some brilliant collections also as well have been recently uh, Human Wins Not Here, uh, Fatima Oscars, uh, If They Come For Us, Sam Sachs's new collection, Bury It. Um, I am always a fan of Hanif Abdurraqib and Eve, uh, Eve Ewing. Um, check out Evie Shockley's work. Check out anything Patricia Smith ever wrote. Uh, check out... Um, Philip B. Williams' collection, check out Adelie Moan's collection, check out Kyle Dargan, check out um, Angel Nafis and Morgan Parker, um, check out everybody, you know? Uh, yeah, uh, look at my Twitter mentions. If I'm friends with them, they're probably good. Uh, <laughs> but that's just because I love my friends and I think they're tight. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books with Jen. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and review. I'll be back with another interview very soon. Happy National Poetry Day. Bye.